Welcome to Connemara Ponytails, a series of interviews giving you an insider's view on all things related to the Connemara Pony. We'll be exploring a broad range of topics with experts in their fields and also having some light-hearted chats with breeders, riders, producers and Connemara Pony enthusiasts. We hope you enjoy this free series. Follow updates and share feedback on our Facebook page, Connemara Pony World. Hello all and welcome to Connemara Ponytails. I hope you all had a lovely Easter break. Before we kick off this episode, if anyone has any suggestions on guests or topics for the podcast, please drop me a note on Facebook or on the Connemara Pony World Facebook page. Okay, so now down to business. I wanted to set up a series called Ask the the Vets. To kick this off, skin issues with Connemara ponies is a topic I see coming up time and time again on social media with questions addressing different issues. Joining me to give us an expert insight on skin issues with Connemara ponies is Dr. Kieran O'Brien. Kieran qualified as a vet in Ireland and after a short spell in two equine hospitals, he completed a PhD at Cambridge. He then spent 12 years as a lecturer and a clinician at Bristol Veterinary School before moving in 1998 to an equine veterinary practice on the Devon-Cornwall border. He is an FEI event vet and has officiated at many international events, including at three World Equestrian Games. He is the author of the book Essential Horse Health and he breeds and imports Connemara sports ponies. Welcome, Kieran. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. This particular episode is going to focus on skin problems with your Connemara pony. And just to kick it off, I think what we'll do is we'll go through a couple of different topics and we'd really appreciate your expert advice. Okay. So let's start with one that most people are very aware of, sweet itch. Can you just give me an overview of what actually causes it? Okay, well, sweet itch is an allergic reaction to saliva injected by midges. Midges are extraordinary creatures. They have an incredible life cycle. And when they land on a pony, they very quickly get to the surface of the skin. These will be female midges. Male midges don't bite. Female mm-hmm. midges have to have a blood meal before they can reproduce. So they bite the pony. They inject their saliva, which contains 11 separate proteins. And it's essentially the, the horse becomes allergic to these proteins and eventually it gets very itchy and starts getting swelling at the sites of biting and that sort of thing. And, of course, it comes back year after year. It's a life sentence. And um, it's a horrible condition and quite difficult to control. Sorry, when you say it's a life sentence, if a a Connemara pony gets it once, then they're always going to get it? Yes, they've got it for life, yeah. Tends to start around age three or four, but I have seen this in yearlings, which would be unusual. But usually sort of two, three and four, they would start with it. And how common is it in Connemara's, Kieran? You know, we we all have heard... Well, I don't... I don't think there are any actual statistics. I don't think it's all that common. I don't think it's as common as, for example, in other breeds. For example, mm-hmm. Dutch Frisians, 18%, roughly one in five get sweet itch. Um, mm-hmm. I think the instance in Connemara ponies would be very much lower, but it certainly is a problem and is well recognized as a problem in the breed. The overall instance of sweet itch in all breeds in the UK has been estimated around 3%. And I would okay. think probably Connies probably would be maybe lower than that. Um, and should should we be breeding from an affected pony? Well, there's definitely a genetic association which explains why it runs in certain breeds. And historically, people have blamed certain Connemara lines. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So the question is, if you mate an affected pony with an unaffected um, stallion, shall we say, what's the mm-hmm. likelihood of passing it on? Well, there is a significant likelihood, and it's reckoned that you double the chances. Let's say if you have an average interest of 3%, you double that to 6% if you mate an affected with an unaffected. Mm-hmm. And then if you mate an affected to an affected, you then double that again, so you're up to 12%. So for that reason, we generally don't recommend breeding from affected ponies. There is, unfortunately, no test whereby mm-hmm. we can test predisposition and no reliable test, or at least no test that's freely available. So I think if your pony is showing signs of screech, uh, we wouldn't recommend you breed from it. Got it. Okay. And what about um, preventing it? Have you any top tips for our listeners? Well, I mean, there are a lot of things people try. Very often they'll try a combination of them. I mean, Mm. the first thing you can do is try and create a midge-free zone. And by that, I mean ponies that are kept in high altitude on cliffs, on hills, where it's quite windy, uh, tend to suffer much less. But of course, we all don't have that, that sort of choice. Now, insect repellents are widely used, but they suffer from one big disadvantage in that they're just too short acting. The best one is DEET. DWPE. And as far as I can see, the highest uh, concentration available on the sort of animal or veterinary market is about 23%. Now, uh, if you look at studies in people, for example, uh, uh, where it comes to repelling mosquitoes, that 23% only uh, lasts about five hours. So the problem with repellents generally is they just don't last long enough. And if you're going to rely on repellents, and generally speaking, I don't recommend it, but if you are going to rely on repellents, um, you have to put them on very frequently, several times a day, every day, without fail, mm. well, you, know, with, um, you know, no matter what the weather's like. Um, and the other thing about repellents to remember is that not all repellents are the same. And in fact, many of the repellents sold over the counter for horses contain essential oils like citronella. There is some recent research which shows that citronella actually attracts midges. So you've got to be very careful which... Uh, repellents you use if you're going to rely on repellents and certainly DEET is well established as a very reliable repellent and uh, as long as you use it at a high concentration and you apply it frequently it'll certainly help but it won't be the only solution. That's interesting that citronella is seen research that's attracting because that's the base of a lot of fly repellents as well. Uh, absolutely it is and and, it do, and whether whether this is a unique quality of, of midges, the culicoide mm. species that they're attracted to them but certainly there is good evidence that actually citronella is not a good thing to use. So just kind of working down the different ways. So we've talked about midge-free zones, we've talked about repellent. Now the next thing is of course is to, to kill them before they bite using an insecticide. And that's mm. reasonably effective. And what I recommend is using a poron concentrated insecticide. Remember that some ponies are very sensitive to porons and you can actually cause a nasty reaction in individual ponies. Mm. So what I always say to people is before you use a poron, put a little bit on some cotton wool, dab it on the side of the neck, wait for 48 hours, see if you get a swelling, get a reaction. Mm. I have seen it happen. It's not common, but I think you should always do what we call a patch test. Of course. Then, so what you then do is, uh, what I recommend is you make a parting in the mane, obviously wearing gloves, make a parting in the mane, dribble it along the mane, along the back and down onto the dock, and then fold the mane over the parting and work it into the skin. And similarly with your fingers, obviously wearing gloves, work it into the dock. And um, that's reasonably effective, Um, but you do have to do it probably once a week, which would be much more frequently than you would use, for example, for fly control. Is that that weather 
dependent lasting yeah. week. Yeah, it, it's, it binds to the oil in the skin, so it's pretty uh, rain resistant. And obviously, you would only put it on a on a dry coat on a dry dry coat on a dry day. Um, yeah. So that's quite good. It's reasonably effective. And the idea is that you kill the mites as they travel down through the hair, which they do very, very quickly. If you watch them, they just literally shoot down to the, to the skin. It kills them before they have a chance to bite. And some of the porons actually also have a repellent effect. So you get a kind of a double a double effect. Um, and the, the porons, I'm talking about things like spot on, um, those sort of things. This might be a bit of a stupid question, but what? how do you know is the right time? You're trying to do it before they're biting when do you know yes. that's the right time to actually okay. you, treat? Generally speaking, um, before climate change, there would be a sort of an off season, you know, and they wouldn't really start itching until the midges start appearing in around kind of late March, early April. And the very first sign of itching, you, you get on with your insecticide. Unfortunately, okay. in certain parts, certainly in certain parts of the UK, we get midges almost the whole year round now. And um yeah. So you almost have to keep going with some kind of protection the whole year round. But generally speaking, it would be kind of early spring, right through to, to sort of November time, when you get the cold weather and the midges, in general, used to disappear. Whether they still do so, I'm not so sure. So that's the uh, that's the insecticide, and I, I'm recommending you know quite a concentrated solution and fairly frequent application. The other way, of course, is to prevent, um, and I should just add to that, that a, a sort of a tip, uh, an insecticide that's been used for years in horses is benzyl benzways. Yeah. It's sold in the UK under the trade name Killich. That is quite effective, but once again, you've got to put that on every few days. Uh, it's not very long lasting, but it's, it is quite effective. Okay. Uh, some people mix it with things like licoparaffin to make it uh, last longer. And also you get an oily barrier that the midges have trouble penetrating. So mm-hmm. that, that's not a bad insecticide to use. And then, um, of course, then the classic uh, prevention is to use a, fle- a sweet itch rug. Now, it has to be a sweet itch rug, not a fly rug. Fly rugs tend to have a slightly more open mesh that allow the midges to penetrate. It's got to be a, almost like a continuous fabric. Okay. They're, they're readily available now and they're very effective. But, um, and of course, it's got to stay on 24 hours a day. Midges mm-hmm. will fly indoors. It's a very open stable. If you bring the horse in, or the pony rather, in from the field, you've got to leave the rug on. A lot of people take the rug off. Yeah. Um, but actually, um, unless the stable is very dark uh, and, and, and badly ventilated and poor access, the midges will actually go readily go indoors. And you've got to remember that. Um, and if you want to give the pony a bit of respite from wearing the rug, well, then you either go to an insecticide for a period of time or you bring them in and you stop preventing the midges gaining access to the stable. And what our clients do, some of them, is they put up a, an old um, net curtain, you know, just hang it across the door, yeah. just an old one, and that'll stop them coming in. And then okay. the pony can have a bit of respite. And um, the other thing about the stable is that you can give them something atraumatic to rub on. And, you know, they will still be a bit itchy. And what yeah. I do, and I've done with, I've had three ponies with tweezers, is I get a, a brush, you know, like an ordinary yard brush, and I just yeah. screw it to the wall of the stable, like, uh, orientated vertically, screw it to the stable wall, and then the pony can scratch away at that. It'll feel better, but it won't damage the skin. Honest, and that, yeah. that can be very effective. And you can also buy, I don't know about an island, but in this country you can get kind of rubber mats with them um, sort of um, protuberances on them that are designed to rub. They can rub them and not cause any trauma or hair loss. Uh, so that's the um, that's the 
the rug situation. Of course, the other approach, which you can do in combination with this, is to make the skin less reactive um, by giving the horse omega-3 supplement. And there is good evidence. Uh, There is a very good study done a long time ago in Canada where they gave ponies um, linseed or flaxseed, same Mm -hmm. thing, um, ground flaxseed, in this country, it would be micronized. I'm sure you've got the same thing. They gave them 500 grams a day, and then they chal- and then they used extracts of meat saliva in their skin to measure the reactivity, and they found there was a very good suppression of reactivity. So linseed or flaxseed supplementation uh, is quite good. They're very high in omega. Um, flaxseed compared to all the other oils, uh, linseed oil, flaxseed oil, um, is very high in omega three. Whereas all the others like soy oil or corn oil are much higher in omega-6. Now, omega-6 is pro-inflammatory, so you don't want to supplement that. In this situation, you want a high omega-3. Other omega-3 sources would be things like fish. You can get fish oil supplements uh, or um, algal uh, produced from algae. Can you use, could you use human supplements, fish oils and... Yes, it's a question of, it's a question of getting a big enough dose. You know, bearing in okay, mind that the yeah. average pony is probably four times or five times the weight of a human being. You'd have yeah, to give yeah. them quite a lot. There are several things you've got to be careful about when you're using omega-3 supplements. First of all, particularly if you use an oil, don't forget it's a source of calories. Mm-hmm. And you are giving extra calories to a pony at the height of summer when that's probably the last thing it needs. And secondly, omega-3 is a very fragile uh, uh, substance. And if you use heat extraction to get it, so a lot of the commercial available linseed oil supplements for animals are, are heat extracted, which is a much more efficient way of extracting it from the plant than, than for example, cold press, which is the other alternative. But the heat extraction process actually damages the omega-3. So ideally, you want to get something that's cold pressed, or micro, uh, oil or micronutrient feed and give that as a supplement. Is there the a brand thing, that you recommend? Well, in, in in this country, there is a company called Science Supplements that produces micronized linseed. I don't know if they market in Ireland. They might well do. But I think any kind of micronized uh, linseed will probably be will, will probably be good. Okay. The other thing to remember uh, is that if you have a pony that's competing at a high level and it's being fed a sort of a high calorie diet particularly um, like a performance diet which nowadays a lot of the performance diets are low in starch and high in oil um, Mm -hmm. and they get away with the adverse effects of starch in terms of causing gastric ulceration and that kind of thing but the oil unfortunately they use are things like soy oil or corn oil which are high in Mm omega-6 so in a way if you feed a Swedish pony a high performance feed if I in, in inverted commas, that's oil-based, you actually might be making the skin more reactive. So you need another alternative. Okay. Uh, but I mean, not many people feed ponies these, you know, but if you've got a horse that's mm-hmm. competing at a high level and there's only sort of feeds, you you, you know, that's something to watch out for. Be mindful of us, yeah, yeah. Now, you, you asked me about protecting the face and ears. Well, they are um, major uh, biting sites for mm-hmm. midges. And, uh, and also the concentration of the inflammatory cells in normal horses, higher in those regions than it is in the rest of the body, so which is why you tend to get more of a reaction. Okay. And you can get a lot of rubbing below the eyes and that kind of thing. And, and as a vet, you know, vetting horses in the middle of winter uh, for people to buy, and I'm looking for evidence of Swedish, the place I mm. always look is under the eyes because if they rub their face, it often you can see a little bit of skin damage there, although they may have mm. protected the rest of the horse really well, you know. Uh, and that's a kind of a telltale sign if you see some rub marks below the eyes. 
that they've been rubbing. But but so so as far as protecting the face is concerned, well then you can use things like you can get these um, uh, hoods that cover the ears and around the face. Um, yeah. You want one with a very fine mesh. Or alternatively, use some kind of greasy, uh, greasy repellent. And there's one which I'm pretty certain is sold in Ireland, which is called Summer Freedom, uh, and that mm-hmm. uh, that um, that's a repellent sort of gel. Comes in a tub, and you can and we just use that with our, our Swedish ponies, smear it around the ears, around the eyes, around the face, and that gives quite good protection. It may well be that the fact that it's oily and greasy is, is actually having the main effect, and it just can't penetrate that. But but, but it, it does contain a repellent as well. So and, and that has to be topped up every day. Uh, no, probably every every two or three days, I would think, probably okay. would be enough for that. Yeah, because okay. it's very greasy, very persistent, you know. And what about um, I have friends that give these vaccines for sweet itch? How effective yes. are they? At the moment, the kind of flavour of the month is a ringworm vaccine. We imported from Europe. It's called Insol. And I think it was either in Denmark or the Netherlands that vets in those countries noticed that ponies that were vaccinated against ringworm uh, had a, a, seemed to have much less severe sweet itch. Um, and so we've been importing this vaccine and using it. It's very hard to say how effective it is because, of mm. course, people always do lots of other things as well. You know, it's not the only intervention. All I can say is that quite a few of our clients who had it in previous years have reordered it again this year. And we've just, uh, we, we start off in February. It's two injections a fortnight apart. We generally give it in February before the season starts. In Sol, it's called. Unfortunately, having said all that, there is a recent, very recent publication from Germany where they did some work which looked specifically at its effect on sweetish, and actually it wasn't that impressive at all. So I suspect that may prove to be, that vaccine may prove to be a bit of a nine-day wonder. And it's that um, vaccine, they have there, is it two weeks later, they have a booster and then it's an annual one back around top. Exactly, yeah, exactly, yeah. That's exactly it. Yeah, we do them annually, yeah. Yeah, normally in February. Uh, you've um, got to get in before the season starts. But I mean, wh- whether it, you know, I mean, we did a, we did a survey with our clients mm-hmm. and sort of graphed their, you know, their responses. And you know, a lot of people thought it was really good. But of course, invariably, they have done other things as well. You know, and um, yeah. And so you don't know whether it's. Uh, I was involved in a vaccine trial years ago where we had a hundred sweetest ponies using a different sort of vaccine, which was given orally, and uh, some of them were having the placebo, and a lot of the ponies. On mm. the placebo, the owners were convinced they had improved. So, anyway, okay. you, know, you have to be a bit. Yeah, I know. Like do you know? Do you, do you? You've got a strong background in performance, horses, ponies, everything. Have you ever seen a sweet itch affecting performance of a horse or pony? Not really. I haven't seen that. I remember as a working in the as a teenager with Jackie Doherty. Um, who had a lot of eventers and my job as a kind of lowly 16-year-old groom was to <laughs> smear a bit of citronella around their eyes before they went in a dressage test. But um, <laughs> uh, that was to keep, was keep kind extent. of nuisance flies away, but uh, it probably worked. But um, yeah, so the, the answer is I, I don't think it significantly affects them, no, yeah. is the answer. I, I um, think yeah. the other thing, I think people, I think people who are, serious about competing will be serious about controlling the disease do you know what i yes, mean of course. they will make yeah. every effort to invest in, in it and making sure it doesn't actually get to a point where, where they're yeah exactly and what what about exactly. um antihistamines do they work well a lot of people use antihistamines usually human antihistamines over the counter yeah. and we used to recommend them because we thought we could reduce the dose of steroids that we use mm. to control this disease but there is a very recent 
research study where they gave quite a high dose of an antihistamine called cetirizine, which is the, probably the most widely used one in people now. It's also called Zyrtec is the trade name. Mm-hmm. And it's very popular because it doesn't cause drowsiness, whereas a lot of the older antihistamines, and we used to use these in horses, can make them a bit sleepy. Mm-hmm. But anyway, they did a study of this using quite a high dose, and uh, they compared it. They basically had two groups of ponies, all susceptible to sweetage. One they put sweetage rugs on, and the other ones they just gave them this antihistamine. And they mm-hmm. found it was pretty useless, unfortunately. So we don't really recommend antihistamines anymore uh, right. based on that research. I think we've probably, you know, once again, people who use them, it'll never be the only thing they'll use. You know, they'll use lots yeah, of other things. Yeah. It's very difficult to say, you know, what is actually working in this pony, you know? Yeah, yeah. And what about them just on, on steroids? If they're given, are there any risks of, of giving steroids? Well, st- there are risks. I mean, steroids are probably the only drugs that will significantly reduce the itching and actually mm-hmm. abolish the itching as we treat for long enough. And mm-hmm. I always say to people, you know, if you have a pony with sweet itch and you decide I'm going to buy a sweet itch rug, well, I can guarantee it'll probably wreck that rug in a couple of days, if not in one day. And I sometimes say to people, you know, why aren't you using a sweet itch rug? Oh, well, you know, he's wrecked three of them already. Mm-hmm. So what I say is don't use the rug until we've got the symptoms under control. So okay. what I would do with that pony is let's say we, let's say it's June, it's rubbing a lot, it's getting a bit raw, it's caused a lot of damage. Mm-hmm. The owner decides, right, I, I'm going to get a rug. What I would do with that pony is we would put them on steroids probably for maybe two weeks um, by mouth, and then uh, meanwhile use you know very strong uh, topical treatments to try to control the condition. And then once we've got the itching under control, then we put the rug on, but not before. Um, but the, laminitis is always a worry with steroids, particularly in ponies, particularly if they're yeah. overweight. And many, many overweight ponies live on a laminitis cliff edge, and mm. it's very difficult to push them over the edge. So for that reason, we would use them sparingly. We avoid the, probably avoid the long-acting injection, which I think has an increased risk. We would tend to use an oral steroid called prednisolone. The advantage of giving it orally is if there's any adverse effect, we can stop the dose immediately. Whereas if you've injected something that lasts for three weeks, you can't get it out of the pony. It's still in there, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah. so, so I think they definitely have a role in the, particularly as a kind of rescue treatment in bad cases. But I think they've got to be used, you know, carefully. Interesting. And what about, um, you know, I, I've, again, I've heard people say the pony is a little bit itchy, but it's not sweet itch. It's not sweet itch. And this is whole thing yes, that's really so bad. But, but like, yeah. what's the difference between I have an itchy pony and actually I have a pony that has well, sweet Well, I, I, I have a golden rule that <laughs> a pony that's rubbing its mane and tail uh, in the summer has got sweet itch, it'll prove otherwise. You know, I think yeah. I think a lot of people with the greatest of respect are in denial, you know, it's such a horrible yeah. thing for the point <laughs> and they just wish it didn't have it, you know. Yeah, I think yeah. or it's a sales type of thing. It's a little bit itchy, but it's not sweet itch. Yeah, I know, exactly. There's not much else that's going to make a pony itch in the summer. You don't, we don't have lice in the summer. You know, there's very little that's going to make them itchy. Some people say, oh, they're too hot, you know. Well, I don't really... Yeah, yeah. to that uh you know i think i think a lot of people are probably a, a little bit in denial on this so you just touched on lice there i think if we can move yeah. on to lice sure. because it's, yeah i hate the word lice it always makes me squeamish but what, what what exactly are lice and is it a common problem with our ponies it's not that common we would tend to see it in um ponies that are unclipped uh they're almost always unclipped uh, and it's during the winter months and they are the, the horses have got two species of lice. Um, they are host specific, so owners need never worry that they'll jump onto them because if they do, they'll very quickly leave. 
not only they're host specific, but they're also permanent parasites. In other words, if, for example, you were to get the eggs on a on a, on a brush or something like that, or, mm. or, or on a or the lice on a rug, they would die very quickly. They cannot live off the whole the horse for very long. Okay. So you don't need to worry about that. But I think it's a numbers game. I think the numbers gradually build up over the winter. They start multiplying, particularly if the pony is debilitated for any reason or is underweight. Mm-hmm. We tend to see bigger populations. Or if they're ill for any reason, we tend to see quite sometimes big lice infestations. And they build up over the winter. And in my experience, in this part of the world, anyway, here in the southwest of the UK, they don't really start itching until about February. And okay. you can almost set your set your calendar, you know, by when it starts. And between February and April, and that's because the numbers have reached a critical level at which point the pony is really itchy. And now, at what point do you start to see the lice? I mean, they're 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 there before you see them. They are exactly. Them? Yeah, they're quite easy. They're quite easy to see once the numbers yeah. have built up, particularly the the, uh, the eggs, the nits, and and they look like little hay seeds. The way to tell them apart is just if you see some, they're, they're stuck to the hairs. So if you pluck a bit of hair, you'll yeah. see the eggs actually stuck to the shaft there. Whereas if it was a hay seed, it would just fall off. You know. Okay. Um, and are you saying, um, just to make this clear, are you saying if I bought a pony tomorrow and I susp- I'm putting it out with a few others, those lice could jump onto the other ponies? Oh, definitely, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. yeah. And the, the, and the, but of course, they'll be in small numbers and they'll take a long time to build up to a level at which the pony will... Um, will um you know will get itchy but of course things like mutual grooming and that kind of thing coming in physically in contact with each other could spread them <laughs> i use the pour on insecticide again spot on one of those products and a single treatment will just get rid of them completely the eggs hatch in about two weeks and the insect two weeks after they've laid and the insect the, the insecticide doesn't kill the eggs but once they hatch it will kill them and the pour ons are very persistent a single treatment is generally enough uh, to get rid of them, Sim- just pour the uh, pour on on there and just leave it. You know the lice will go. That's really interesting. But another one I always am fascinated by, and I, I've seen it uh, before, haven't had one with it, but is ringworm. And we've always been told it's highly contagious. So maybe, firstly, how did the ponies get infected with ringworm? Almost always because they come in contact with the spores. The spores can last for years outside of the pony and they persist on on sort of grooming tools, door frames where they've been rubbing, you know, all kinds of places they can persist. And the spores get onto the horse and then they colonize the skin. I've actually had two ponies come from Clifton and developed uh, ringworm having arrived with me. They may have acquired the infection in the mud. They may not. Have, they probably mm. didn't. But of course, on their way to me, they would have gone through dealers and not uh, hauliers' yards. They've been in lorries. You know, all these kind of places where they could have been exposed. But uh, it can kind of creep up in you, you know. And uh, the most recent one I had, which came from Clifton, I just noticed on the facial crest that sort of ridge of bone at the side of the face, a little kind of scabby, slightly raw area. And I thought, well, yes. maybe he's just rubbed it on the head collar or something. Yes. But after a while, I noticed it was getting more scaly and it was starting to expand. And sure enough, that was ringworm. It's most commonly on the head because, of course, it's transmitted on head colours and tack and that kind of thing very easily. Is it normally round or can it be any type of shape? No, it can be. It, 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 I, I think it's called ringworm because it's sort of round, but actually it can be any mm. shape. Okay. But uh, very often it is round. But, you know, the fact that it isn't round shouldn't make you think, oh, well, it's not ringworm. You know what I mean? You get it around the ears and you get it all over the sides of the cheeks. And, and of course, you also get it in the saddle area and the girth area if it's transmitted on girths and uh, numbness and things like that. We had a very bad outbreak in a, in a, a local yard 
and it was only in the saddle area and I couldn't figure out what was going wrong because we were being very strict about changing the numbness and cleaning mm-hmm. the dress and everything. And I realized they were washing the numbness 30 degrees centigrade, which of course is below blood temperature of the horse. So the spores are probably happily surviving. Uh, the wash, you know, and yeah. um, eventually we had an enormous bonfire of all the numbers and that, <laughs> that solved the problem straight away. But, yes. um, but it's something to watch out for. I always say it's more of a nuisance than a problem. It doesn't kind of debilitate the horse in any way. But I think you need to get on top of it quickly because if you don't, you'll get environmental contamination and the problem will persist in your yard forever. Okay, so it gets into the yard, whether it's your own yard or a livery yard. So what, what do you yes. do? What's your advice? So what I would do is, uh, what would do, the first thing, the important thing to do is to make that individual horse, the first case, non-infectious. Okay. So I, I use a fungal wash. Uh, we, we use stuff called Imaveral, which is really good. And, and I just, an all over wash of the horse mm. um, to make that horse no longer infectious. And then I make sure any material that's been in contact with that horse in terms of brushing and um, brushes and uh, head collars and um, ah, numbness and things like that all get disinfected. Mm. Uh, leather, of course, is tricky because you can't use strong disinfectants on on uh, leather but what you can use is this imaveral disinfectant that we put on the horse so i just sponged on all the all the leather tack with that okay. and then we would treat the individual areas the, the instructions say treated every i think every two or three days but actually i treat it every day the solution yeah. when you make it up you buy a concentrate it lasts for a month once you make it up so i have it in a sort of like a lemonade bottle and i just every day dab it on the affected area and after about 10 days you'll notice the hair is starting to very slowly grow back through that pattern then you know you've you, you've got you, you've cracked it but the critical thing is get on it quickly you know that's the most important thing and if there, if, um, if if that pony has it, what about we know what to do with the pony? But what about the others that it's been in contact with? Should they? Well, that, I think well, you either got. I think if you've been sharing head collars and that kind of thing, you're certainly going to have to be very vigilant. If you want to be super careful, you probably would give them all a, an overall wash, particularly mm. the head region, the neck, saddle area, numbness. They're the most important areas all over the head. Very and obviously be very careful with the eyes, just and just wet all that area with the insecticide to try to nip the thing in the bud, you know. The, you, the ringworm can trans, I'm correct in saying it can transfer it to humans, yes, it can. And I've had a cup, I've had it myself, yeah. and I've had a couple of uh, clients get it from their horses. So I always warn, you know, it is what we call a zoonosis, it can infect people. So if yeah. when you're handling them, you should be wearing gloves. Moving on to one that definitely I've seen, particularly in the winter time, is mud fever. Why does it seem that it's more prevalent in Connemara ponies that tend to be grey than other type of horses or ponies? Um, it's more common in animals that have got unpigmented skin. Now, grey Connemara ponies have got black skin, but some of them, okay. of course, will have had white socks when they were when they were uh, young. Uh, yeah. And now, of course, they're uniformly white. And the areas where they had the white socks, the skin is unpigmented. And for some reason, unpigmented skin nobody knows why, is more susceptible to bacterial infections than pigmented skin. Okay. So, so, and, and that's why on some of them you'll only see it maybe on one leg. This is very common. And for example, warm yeah. bloods and these sort of things with flashy white socks, we tend to get, and Arabian horses particularly, they tend to have a lot of white, we tend to get a lot of uh, problems with mud fever on those. Yes, and very often yeah. only on the white legs, you know. Okay, and, and is, it, is it mud fever it's called? Is mud the cause? 
Well, classically, I don't know. I, I wish it wasn't called mud fever because all the recent research suggests actually it's not. All the mud is doing is making the skin more susceptible to the infection. There isn't, there aren't any unique organisms in mud that are causing this. We talk about this thing called dermatophilus, which does live in mud, but actually dermatophilus as a cause of mud fever, I think, is quite rare. What essentially you've got are opportunist skin bacteria that have got in because the skin has been debilitated by the mud. And usually it's a combination of two things. It's a combination of constant wetting and mm. chilling of the legs. And you get sort of chapping in the skin folds at the back of the pasture. And that's where the bacteria then can, can get in. I always say to people, you know, there's enough bacteria on a horse's skin to kill it many times over, but they can't get in. What happens when they get this sort of chapping, you know, sort of splitting of the mm. skin in those creases at the back of the pasture, you know, if you pick up a horse's pasture and flex it and you can see the sort of creases there, that's where it tends to start. Yes, Bacteria yeah. in the skin get in there and then they start multiplying and then it starts spreading from there. Almost always starts in those little grooves, you know. And um, and it's and the reason we don't see it in wet summers, I think, is because um, we don't have the chilling effect. Yeah, And that's yeah. why I strongly discourage people, you know, when they bring ponies in from the field in the uh, in the afternoon you know in for the evening i strongly mm. discourage people from hosing the legs with cold water but, and yards that that do that regularly tend to have horrific mud fever problems i think really? you just leave the mud yeah don't yeah. hose it off it's not the mud that's causing this is people have got this idea that sort of the mud mm. is somehow giving them mud fever all the mud is doing is predisposing them and by mm. by wetting it with cold water you're adding in the chill factor in yards where I've said, right, from now on, we're banning all washing uh, when they come in from the field. And people say, but yeah. you can't leave the mud on. It's going to give them mud fever. Well, actually, the mud fever problem disappears in that yard. Wow. What I say is leave it on, leave it on, brush it yeah. out the following day. Or, or the other, if, if you are going to, if you insist, you know, if you're adamant you're going to wash the legs, in that case, you've got to dry them and dry them with a clean towel. Get them nice and warm. Get the horse indoors. But yeah. try and avoid um, washing. And the other quick way... Of I'm course, sorry, just to cut in here, on, what, what about warm water then if you're not using cold water? Yeah, warm water would, as long as you can get it really dry, because, of course, after yeah. a while it'll cool down. You know, we're talking kind of January time, and there's a draft going through the stable, you know, and you and you will... Um, I got a... Um, just like a little aside, I, I got a girl who has a thermographic camera um, to to wash one horse, uh, one of her horse's legs, wash one leg and not wash the other, right? Came in yeah. the afternoon, she washed one leg, left the other one. And then I got her to, me to measure the skin temperature with this thermographic camera every hour. And yeah. you could show that the leg that she had washed and not dried was still chilled six hours later, although the other one was, you know, normal temperature. So I think wow. it's the chill factor. The other thing about the mud, of course, if you want what a lot of people do, and I recommend it where they've had real problems, particularly in Arabian horses, is you buy these leg wraps, you know, and you stick them straight on top mm -hmm. of the mud as soon as the horse comes in. What that does is it warms the legs, it wicks the moisture away, and the following day you just take the wraps off and just brush the mud out and brush the legs are perfectly clean. Yeah. So, I, I, so I have this kind of mantra, which is, you know, hose pipes are banned. And there's nothing, uh, you know, I mean, that, and, and I can, you know, we've proven over and over again that you should not be washing legs. That's something I'm definitely taking away. OK, I'm going to move on to the next yeah. uh, area. Yeah. It is sunburn. And again, we see oh, yeah. uh, a lot of pink noses with our Connemaras and yeah. lighter coloured. Yeah. So yeah. What, what can I do about sunburn if I have a, a pony with a pink nose? Well, I mean, I think your choice is uh, using some kind of sunblock. 
the question I'm not clear about is whether maybe something very straightforward like pseudocrem would have the same effect, you know? I mean, the argument for using human sunblock, the reason why people use human, uh, the reason why people use sunblocks, apart from preventing sunburn, is that when they rub them in, they disappear. They're invisible, you know, so there's no kind of, you, you don't walk mm -hmm. around looking That's covered in cream. Yeah, but but yeah. it may well be that actually something simple like pseudocrem might equally have a barrier, you know? I don't know the answer to that question. And certainly the other way around it is to use these kind of nose uh, nose flaps, you know, that you can get. Um, yes. And they're really, really good. And you attach them to a head collar. And now people say, oh, I don't want my horse wearing a head collar in the field because it's dangerous. And yes, it is. But uh, you can get safety head collars that have like a Velcro attachment. And mm -hmm. that's what I recommend. If, if you've got a, you know, okay, if there's a small area you can treat every day, that's fine. But if it's a big pink nose, and probably, which is not really common in Colomars, but, you know, I would get one of these nose flaps and then the problem will just disappear. And Got just it. get a safety head collar, put this on, put it on every day when it's out in the yeah. field, and, and it'll work out. I think, the, I think the trade name in this country is something like Field Relief. What about if I'm buying human sun cream? Is there a particular strength I should be thinking well, about? Well, I, I mean, I, I, I don't think anyone's ever worked this out, but, I mean, you know, you would recommend a strong a strong right. factor, you know, like yeah, 40 yeah. or 50 or something like that. But a lot, of, a lot of ponies, I've noticed, after a while, they won't let you go near their nose. And, you know, they get very sensitive, particularly if it's mm. sore, and they can get a real issue about having their nose touched, um, sunburn sufferers. And it can, so you can get into a very difficult situation. So that's why I think if it's got a, a really pink nose, I would definitely go and get one of those bib things, those nose covers. And then the last sort of area of skin, let's call it diseases, is um, it's one I don't know a lot about, but it's rain rot or rain scald. What exactly yeah. is this? Well, that's a skin infection, and that is caused by dermatophilus that I mentioned, this organism that mm. lives in mud and wet areas. That is uh, caused by that, and it affects the back and the rump. Uh, where you have constant wetting. Now, m m all my ponies winter out without rugs, and I have assumed that as they're native ponies, they'll have very thick coats, mm -hmm. and they will be resistant to this, because we see a lot of this in fine-coated animals, like thoroughbreds and that kind of thing, you know, but we don't see it yeah. so much in ponies. But I can think of two of mine that have got it, and it's essentially a kind of a crusty thing uh, along their backs. You can feel it in the hair. You run your hands through, and then you and if you pluck some of the hair, it's like a paintbrush sticking through the scab. Uh, very easy to diagnose, and to be honest, very easy to treat. We just use an antiseptic shampoo, like hippie scrub or something like that, and uh, put it on full strength, hot water, full strength, leave it. You've got to leave contact time. The mistake... Most people make with antiseptic shampoos like hippie scrub is they A, dilute it, and B, they don't leave it on for long enough. So okay. I always use it full strength. I never add it to water. Full strength, work it in like shampoo, and yep. then just sit for probably a minimum of 10 minutes and then rinse it off and dry. And then keep the keep the pony in until the hair is starting to grow back or at the very least put a waterproof rug on it. We, we sometimes see them in horses that our ponies horse and ponies that are wearing you know New Zealand turnout rugs that they say well you know how can it get this because the rain can't get through it must be yeah, condensation yeah. I, I don't really buy that story because condensation is not going to occur there because it's um, the underside of the rug is quite warm I think it's because the rug is leaking it's it's becoming humid and there's there's well yes but it, it it is but I don't think it's enough to cause this condition otherwise we see it mm -hmm. a lot more commonly 
you know, we'd see it really commonly. I, I think it's, I think in many cases, the rug is leaking. And what I say to people is, you know, after a very wet day, just out of interest, take the rug off. Is the underside wet or is there water on the horse's back, you know? Uh, I've I found over the years that if you, you know, people here send their rugs away to be cleaned, so-called reproofed, my experience is that reproofing is never as good as, they'll never be as good as when they, you first bought them in terms of their yes. waterproofing. Yeah. Um, and all I do with mine is I just, you know, I just lay them on the ground and get ordinary washing up liquid and give them a bit of a scrub and allow them to dry uh, on a gate or something like that. You know, I, I think um, reproof, and sending them away to be, I, I'm not convinced, you know, I, I think, but that's just a personal thought. But, uh, uh, you so, know, I think if it's going to be waterproof, it needs to be waterproof. Yeah, of course. And you had said your ponies are out in the winter without rugs. Is that, is, yeah, that's yeah. a conscious decision because they're, they're native ponies, is it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I can remember in February going up on the Sky Road in Clifton and seeing ponies there, you know, wintering out in Atlantic gales, you know, and they're perfectly healthy. I think we greatly underestimate how hardy Connemara ponies are. And I, you know, I've seen photographs of people putting rugs on folds in October and this kind of thing, you know. Well, my folds and my ponies always winter out without rugs. Yeah, I think the only exception I would make to that would be as if they're kind of debilitated for any reason and haven't grown a particularly good winter coat, I might consider using a rug, but it's exceptional really. I think these ponies are incredibly hardy and they grow, um, you know, you've just got to see them in Connemara and you know exactly, you know, how yeah. hardy they are, you know. You don't see many rugs on ponies in Connemara, you know. No, and they're, 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 they've been doing something right all the time. And is there, if your if you're pony... Tends, if your pony gets rain rot, rain scald, yes. will it get it again? Is there a propensity, a higher chance it'll get it again? Uh, only if you allow the same kind of conditions to occur again, you know. And what I have done with what I have done is I have actually with one that had it badly the following winter. Um, I just got a big pot of pseudocrem and I just smeared it along his back. And yeah. I've heard of people in Ireland using things like beef dripping. And in on thoroughbred stud farms to stop the thoroughbreds getting rain, rain scald, rain rot, and just by smearing a mixture of vegetable oil and beef dripping on their backs, which you know, so almost for, a homemade protective layer for your pony, basically. Exactly, it's just an oily layer, exactly, and it's completely yeah. harmless, you know. But if it is an issue, you could certainly get a rug. There's no reason yeah. why you can't rug them. Okay, so Kieran, there's a, we're, we're, I could keep talking about these. We have a couple of questions from Facebook. I want to run through really quickly. The first yeah, one, hi. Sure. Hi, I have a skin question for the podcast, please. My pony had a reaction to clipper oil, known brand, and then a secondary skin infection, which, which resulted in scabs and significant hair loss. I treated with Malaseb, but looking for advice for next year on how to do a skin test next year to check for a reaction to different oils and what to do again in the case of a reaction. Yeah, we, we do occasionally see reactions to clipper oil. I personally don't think it's a unique property of that pony. I think, nor is it a unique property of the oil. I, I, I think it's just that the oil itself is an irritant, and I think some ponies seem to be sensitive to it. So my advice always when you clip a pony is you bring it out into the open air, see if you can see any oil smeared on the body, and immediately wash it off with some soapy water. I think that's the solution. Just wash it right. off. Yeah. Okay. Um, and 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 you know and and if you're concerned that you know you there's some that you can't see, well then just give them a shampoo. Uh, I think you have to use a detergent though to get rid of the oil. So I don't think it's anything you know like immunological. I just think it's just some oils seem to be irritant. 
And, uh, and of course, we clip indoors and very often in artificial light, and we can't see where we've left smears of oil. That's why I say, you know, try and get them outside, have a look. Is there any oil anywhere? Get some soapy water, get it off straight away. Uh, and that hopefully will solve the problem. Okay, next one. Hi, I'm interested to know more info as I'm helping someone with a few connies at the moment, and a couple of them are very itchy, allergy prone, and come up in strange lumps. One has had the sweet itch injections, but doesn't seem to have helped. And they have shelters and sweet itch rugs, etc. But would like to know what else we can do to prevent them from being itchy. Also, is it something genetic with Connie's? Well, uh, answering the second part first, I mean, uh, there certainly is a genetic predisposition. Um, it's the genetics are very complicated. They're far more complicated than, for example, HWSD, which is a single allele. And, and it is likely that there, there is genetic predisposition, yes. But we could, it's so complicated, there's no way we could kind of select to maybe not approve stallions that were carrying the predisposition, that kind of, because it's far too complicated. But it, it does highlight something to slide aside on this. You know, if we narrow the genetic base of the, of the Connemara pony breed by, for example, not breeding from carrier ponies, by narrowing the genetic base, we are more likely to create or increase other problems of which Swedish might be one. I think we need to keep this in mind. Because um, you're narrowing the genetic pool. Exactly, exactly, yeah, exactly. Okay. And, okay. and that could become it. So in other words, by solving one problem, we might cause some others. To your point earlier, um, when we first addressed Swedish, there are lines uh, in Connemara's that tend to carry Swedish, um, and people are aware well, of them. There are supposed to be, I, I think it's all anecdotal. I don't think anyone has kind of sat down and worked out the proportion, but you know, you mm. hear, you hear of things and, you know, certain lines, but I, I don't think anyone's going to stick their neck out and say, you know, that definitely that's a, yeah, yeah, of course. Passing it on. But I, you know, it's all kind of rumor, you know, there isn't really um, yeah. good hard evidence, you know. This is an interesting one, Kieran. I'd love to know yeah. if there is a connection with COPD and Swedish. I have a pony who right. has both, also have a child with asthma and eczema. Yeah, the um, COPD, which has been kind of rebranded in the last couple of years as equine asthma. It used to be chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, which is, for mm. those of you who don't know, is an allergy to uh, stable dust causing respiratory signs. Yeah, there is good evidence that horses that are predisposed to that condition are more likely to have sweetest. Yes, a link has been shown. There's something about their bodies that makes them more reactive to environmental things mm. and and yes so the answer to the question is yes there probably is a link between the two and no research though done on that there's no sort of well i mean people have looked at um uh, taken groups of uh, horses for example with copd measured various blood parameters in them and then some of them mm. also had sweetage and they just compare them but yeah i think there is a reasonable link between okay. the two yes answered the question great and the last one then my chestnut boy has bad sweetage it seems to be controlled with a rug and benzoyl benzoat. Is there any advice on which foods are beneficial? Any chaff or mix most suitable? You sort of touched on this earlier. Yeah, I think it's really it's the uh, omega-3 supplements. Really, you should go for that to make the skin less reactive. Mm. Um, but, but, but be careful that you use the right one and you don't end up making a fat pony even fatter. Yeah, and stay away from omega-6. Exactly, yeah. Kieran. I loved that. I have learned so much from that and was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> I want to say a massive thank you for joining us and sharing those insights. And You're very and welcome. I really hope we can get you on back again for another topic soon. So thank you very much. You're very welcome, Lucinda. Thank you.